Hey guys, uh, new Andrew Turing loyal viewers. If you don't know, I'm Ames. I'm Mel. And this is My Favorite Haunting, the podcast. Um, we're just back from a super duper long break that um, I think we both desperately needed. I mean, am I speaking for you? Am I putting words in your mouth? Uh, no, I mean, I need a break from the rest of my life too, but that can't happen. But yeah, <laughs> so this was this was the one that got dropped for for a little bit. Well, this is episode 41. 41. 41. I don't have a clever rhyme for that one. Yeah. <laughs> lordy, lordy, look who's 41. I don't know. I got nothing. Um, so anyway, oh, I, I do want to mention one thing very quickly. Um, mostly for our new listeners because our longtime listeners will know this about us already, and that's why they love us, I think, and that's why they've all – made the effort to follow our social media and join our Facebook group and, you know, all those fun things. And they write us emails and send us stories. But we've been getting a lot of feedback from um, not regular listeners um, in the forms of reviews. And um, I actually want to applaud the people who've made the effort to sit down and actually type out an entire email that takes a special <laughs> level of hatred and anger, and I'm sorry for whatever's happening in your life that we've ended <laughs> up being your target for that. Um, I mean, in in the description, if you read the description before you start listening to us, it's two friends sitting down having a conversation. And when we initially started this podcast, we set out to essentially just for fun talk about our thoughts and theories and beliefs in the paranormal and maybe have the, you know, hopefully have the opportunity to connect with other people who are interested in the same thing and have, you know, be able to hear other people's thoughts and, and theories and, and beliefs and everything, which is something I think I'm always interested in. I'm mm -hmm. sure. Yes. Definitely. Same goes. So I don't, if, if it's not for you, it's not for you. you feel free to hit stop and delete and, and whatever. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of people who've gone that extra mile to join our group, follow our social medias, send us their own ghost stories and all of that. And they, they listen to us week after week. God bless their souls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, they love us just fine. And those are the people that we're here to reach out and connect with. And if you're not one of them, I mean, you know, on to the next one in your suggestion list. You don't need to stay and listen. Um, you don't need to sit down and, you know, expend the energy to write a, a four-paragraph detailed email about how we need to Google pronunciations. <laughs> um you know, we have accents. We, a lot of these words are from other countries and we do our best. And, um, yes, we do actually do research and also consider the subject matter too. I think it's, it's paranormal. Yes. Um, a lot of it is theory and legend and secondhand accounts I, from other people. Yes. <laughs> we don't deal in hard facts. Um, so anyways, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's, you know, bullshit, um, but I wanted, it was more for the, for anybody new popping in. Yeah. Right um, at here at 41. <laughs> right here. Yeah. After this long hiatus and now all of a sudden we're, we're showing up in their like, you know, suggested for you list. And they're like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> um, if it's not for you, 
That's fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. And, you know, thank you for giving us a shot and, you know, better luck on your next try. Um, and, and that's really all I want to spend on that. And other than that, um, the trolls are getting no more food from us. So, um, that's that. Anyway. Uh, hey, did you come with a ghost story? Oh, we were supposed to get one of those? Oh, shit. Is this a podcast about ghost stories? Oh, yeah. I got one. Motherfucker. <laughs> it's a good thing I brought one, too. <laughs> or else that whole speech would have been... For nothing. <laughs> a size 12 foot in my mouth. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't even fit. <laughs> I know. That's the point. I'd probably that's a huge to, foot. <laughs> I'd have to cut it up into pieces and chew thoroughly. Ew. <laughs> oh, one more thing. If if this is your first time, I highly recommend listening to bonus episode number two first as your introductory. Uh, we had a good grasp on sound for the most part by that point. Like our early episodes, we suck at sound. <laughs> I sucked at sound. Um, editing was a little. I mean, we were we were learning. We, there's nobody. There's no podcast school. There's no podcast degree. We, mm-hmm. We're learning. Bonus episode number two was our investigation of the Rolling Hills Asylum in upstate New York, and, you know, I'm pretty proud of the way I edited that one together. Yeah. Throwing the EVPs in, and the interviews were a little, especially that one interview, because we did it outside, and it was super windy, so sound was a little rough, but the rest of it, I think, I I liked it. (laughs) I'm a little proud of it. I would say listen to that one first, and then come back and and listen to this one. Cool. (laughs) Stay away from the old ones. (laughs) <laughs> They're good. Maybe go, but, but, you know, be warned. The sound might be a little rough on the older ones. Okay, that's all. I'm done. I'm really done now. I'm done. That's it. I'm finished. Okay, so I did the Grand Opera House in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oshkosh, my gosh. <laughs> I knew I knew that was going to go up. I had a pair of pink Oshkosh, my gosh, overalls when I was three. And I remember <laughs> telling my mother that when I die, I want to be buried in these overalls. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's, That's totally normal for a three-year-old, right? That's a completely normal conversation. Because I wanted to go to heaven and wear them for eternity. Oh, so I was wow. like, you have to bury me in these. Wow. <laughs> wow. We, okay. guys, we know that you guys, that this is the quality content you've come here for. <laughs> so <laughs> back to the Grand Opera House on that note. Uh, let's see here. Uh, it's oh the gosh. little details that make all the difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the Grand Opera House has been host to Grand Opera's Broadway musicals, even vaudeville in the 20s. A few of the many performers that have been here are Vincent Price, John Philip Sousa, Harry Houdini, Sarah Bernhardt, the Smothers Brothers, Debbie Reynolds, and most recently, Jeff Daniels. I thought that was interesting. That Jeff Daniels is from Dumb and Dumber, right? Yes. I did. I, I totally forgot that that was him. Harry? Because Larry was Jim Carrey, right? I don't remember which oh, one was which. I, I don't just... remember. Samsonite! I was way off. I don't remember their names. <laughs> Pretty bird. Pretty bird. Yeah. Well, I just, I just saw him in RV, the boys watched RV <laughs> recently. Oh. And he was in that. And I was like, wait, I was just researching something and he was <laughs> part of it. There he is. Performing live. (laughs) Okay, so some of the history. It was built in 1883, 
And The Bohemian Girl was the first production performed by the C.D. Hess Opera House Company. In 1918, the Opera House was purchased by W.G. Maxey and W.D. Cummings. In the late 20s, Mrs. Isabel Maxey, widow of the previous owner, took over the theater and it was closed for several months for remodeling and redecoration. In 1948, Mrs. Maxey sold the opera house, then known as the Granada, to Sol Winokur. He changed the name to Civic Theater and reopened it as a modern picture house. In 1950, the building was renamed the Grand Theater by the new owner, Frank Blum, and Mary Vetter. In 1969, F.J. Hauser and L.L. Cook bought the Grand Theater, and in the mid-70s, two men from Rockford, Illinois, William Seaton and Maurice Goldie, leased the building from Hauser. Seaton, with help from others, removed the plaster coverings that covered the original features of the Grand's interior. Um, in 1974, it was placed on the National Register of Historic Places, due to the efforts of a committee called Save the Grand. In 1982, the city of Oshkosh acquired the Opera House and began a complete restoration. In 1986, it reopened with the performance of The Bohemian Girl. And then from 2009 to 2010, it went through another major renovation at the cost of $2 million. Um, so way back when, whenever, guys always used their initials on everything. And I'm just like, <laughs> what was it, WG... Uh, WG, WD, like how, LL Cook. Like, hey, so when you said LL Cook, I really thought you were going to say LL Cool J. <laughs> and then WD and WG, I'm just picturing like, all right, like, hey, WD, what's up? Nothing much, WG, what's going on? Oh, you know, WD, I was just thinking about buying this theater. Say, WG, that's a swell idea. Let's do it. And then like... When they're, like, at home with their wives, is it like, oh, WD, I'm so glad you're home. How was your day, dear? Like, I I, I just, have no idea I just how find that all it, works. I just find it. I mean, I know it's for, like, professional. Please, I don't want emails about this. I know it's for, like, professional, like, reasons. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not how they're known <laughs> by their, like, real family and friends. But <laughs> yeah. it just, that's the visual I get, and I find it amusing. Okay, so that was all for the history, and we can go on to the hauntings. So there's, you know, several common things like lights going on and off by themselves, slamming doors. Numerous attendees and actors have reported hearing phantom footsteps throughout the building at all hours. Um, Specifically, footsteps are heard coming up the staircase to the balcony. That was one of the places that kept coming up over and over and over again instead of like just general footsteps it was always up the stairs to the balcony and then Hmm. no one is there you look down no (laughs) one's there Um, reports of kids talking to thin air like just your kids standing there just talking to someone but there's no one there man (laughs) reports of people hearing piano playing and no one is there at the piano playing it and then there was one stranger thing that was no details. It was just an orange mist will appear on stage. And that's the, all the details that I couldn't get any more specifics on that orange mist. It just, every now and then, it just appears on the stage. Orange. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So then we can go to some more specific things. Uh, there is a ghost dog 
that is seen around the theater, mostly oh, on the stage area. <gasps> what kind of, does it, what kind? No, but they believe it is a dog that was used um, as a guard dog around the property. Oh, Bobby. I want to say he's black, but don't quote me on that because I don't think I put it down. <gasps> it could be the Grim. Oh, the Grim. <laughs> no, I don't think it's the Grim. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's a German Shepherd. I have no idea. I didn't write down. Maybe I didn't come across what what breed it was. So it appears to be so real that actors on the stage were ordered to remove the dog by someone, like, I think it was a lighting guy or something. (laughs) Get that dog out of there. What dog? There's no dog. Exactly. The actors, however, reported that there was no dog on the stage. They were like, they looked around like, what are you talking about? There's no (laughs) dog. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, During rehearsals, actors will see ghosts sitting in the seats as though they are watching the play. When staff go to check on on these claims, they will find the seats have been pushed down, but there's no one sitting in them. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess it's like regular theater seats Mm -hmm. that, like, fold. I don't know what would be more creepy, being the person checking on it or being the person seeing them. Well, (laughs) I mean, I've seen that in movie theaters, like when the seats... If they're older, mm-hmm. they get like they don't spring back like the springs break, and they don't really like spring back when people stand up anymore. Yeah, I mean, unless I've just been watching movies in haunted movie theaters, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, then some <laughs> some poor sap had me sit on them for two hours because <laughs> I definitely have sat in the seats that didn't flip back up. So. <laughs> I'll be getting to something like that. Oh, cool. Oh, no, maybe not. I don't know. I just felt really weird. Okay. (laughs) Performers have reported seeing people behind them while looking in the mirrors in the dressing room only to turn around and be alone in the room. Mm -mm. I don't like that. Uh, No, that was not good. The other side? Yes. Jesus, you guys, she's got like a front and back, top to bottom, like full page of typing. That's insane. Uh, Yeah, this one's a little bit longer one. (laughs) It's like the full page. It's not even double-spaced. One actor from a local theater group called The Drama Lab rushed into a dressing room one night and found himself face-to-face with a man wearing old-fashioned clothing. The man was holding a playbill in his hand from a show performed in 1895. If you rush into into a room, come face-to-face with someone, how do you, like... Have the wherewithal to like look at his hands and get the date off of a playbill, like unless <laughs> unless they saw the show and then later look like looked up and saw that that show was only performed there in eighteen ninety five. Maybe I, yeah, I just thought, thought that was interesting well, because well, as you were saying that, I was picturing like because I've been to my fair share of shows mm-hmm. and you know you get a playbill every time and I immediately started like going through my like memories and thinking like which ones had the year on them none of them oh <laughs> they just have the show so i don't know why they wouldn't write the show name instead of performed in 1895 copyright <laughs> reasons maybe maybe i don't know okay so then there's the lady in the balcony uh she is seen in victorian dress holding the program from the show that opened the theater the bohemian girl some claim to have spoken to her, and some claim to have actually sat on her. In, in this one particular balcony seat, they didn't mention which, which seat it was. Oh, man. And they heard her protest. 
Hey! Exactly. Don't sit on me. Can't you see me here? Because um, you know I would definitely go and specifically request that seat. Yes. Yeah, but they they didn't say what one it was. But they said it was one particular seat that is always talked about. I bet if you called them and asked, somebody would know. Probably. Like, that's how I got the, um, well, we didn't get the room because somebody was there, but at the Driscoll, mm, when yes. I called them, and I was, because nothing that I looked at had which room it was. Mm-hmm. I had to call them, and I was like, I'm trying to get the haunted room, and he was, oh, that's 525. Like, he, like, <laughs> knew immediately. In the basement, there is a mischievous stagehand boy who died after he fell in a coal bin, and he likes to play pranks on people looking for a paranormal experience. Hello, new little friend. In the basement, though, so you yeah. have to be able to get down to the basement. Yeah. An assistant producer claimed to see an apparition in an underground passage and stated that an unseen hand grabbed her ankle. The most reported ghost is thought to be a former stage manager, Percy Keene, and he had been involved with the theater from 1895 through 1967. Wow. Yeah. I'm assuming he started as like a little boy runner or whatever. He, yeah, or something. he must have. Because that was that's 70 years. That's, yeah. Or more than, but. 72? Yeah, something like that. Did I math that right? Wow. That's a long <laughs> career. Yeah. He has been seen numerous times around the balcony. Other accounts say he appears from the second floor window watching passerbys on High Street. In 1977, a film class from the University of Wisconsin was making a movie inside the Grand. Some of the student crew saw the full, detailed apparition of a man with small round glasses standing in the balcony, smiling at them. They were able to describe to a T the likeness of Percy Keene. During the sneak preview of the film, Percy Keene was again seen standing in the balcony, like, just like, smiling and like, an approving presence up there, like he was happy Hmm. with what they were doing. (laughs) Bob Jacobs, a Hollywood producer and professor of radio, television, and film at the University of Wisconsin, made a fictional movie about a haunted movie theater and used the Grand Opera House as the location. During the shoot, a student was suspended above the stage for over an hour to film the scene. When this student was lowered back down, the rope supporting him snapped as soon as his feet touched the stage. Mr. Jacobs watched the rope snap with nothing pulling at it. He believes the student was supported by other means, and when lowered, the rope was allowed to give way. Many think it was Keen that was protecting the boy. In 1996, a glowing image that moved across the stage was recorded by a group investigating the theater, but I couldn't find any link or anything to point people to to be able to actually see this thing. I would have... Like to see it, see what this thing was. Um, So I have a couple personal accounts that I came across. Um, So Michelle says, when I was in high school from 95 to 98, I performed at the Opera House in school musicals for three years. During one year while there for rehearsals, me and some other students were in the lower seats while others were in the basement area with our music teacher. About five of us saw a man with a dog Both see-through forms walk across the stage from left to right. He was wearing a hat, but I couldn't remember what type. All of us looked twice, then to each other, then back to the stage. They were gone. And silently but quickly, we ran to the basement. (laughs) (laughs) 
to the Logos boy. (laughs) And then Eva says, For most of my life, my family has celebrated Christmas there. We rent out the opera house. How rich do they have to be to rent out the opera house for Christmas? They're rich motherfuckers. (laughs) They're, they're, They're probably like... Whatever that town is, they're probably, like, founding, like, original family descendants or something. <laughs> I don't know. Or like, or they're related to, or somebody in their family, like, has connections to get them to... Maybe. I don't know. Just, like, it was just, like, bizarre. Like, we rent out the opera house and celebrate Christmas there. Yeah, totally like, cash, you know. <laughs> we also take uh, a tour of it. While on the tour, my sister saw the ghost dog, my cousin, and my and his uncle. So this that was just a weird way to put that. But I guess it's not her uncle; it's his uncle from the other side of his family or something. Yeah. But it just sounded weird. My my cousin and his uncle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, saw a couple of mannequins move on their own, and then they say we stopped renting the place due to most of the family moving away. Hmm. And then we have Katie. I was a part of a team investigating the ground back in 2007. We had been invited by the grand as part of a radio promotion being done there on Halloween morning. So we came at around 4.30 a.m. and went until 9 a.m. when the radio broadcast started. Some investigators thought they saw an unexplained mist in the auditorium at one point, while I experienced what seemed to be extra footsteps echoing mine as I descended to the balcony. Among our recordings was that of a dog barking, which matches the stories of a ghost dog being present. And she gave a link to her recording of the dog barking. So we can put those up somewhere so people can go listen to these. She has actually three different links for things. I also recorded the voice of what seemed to be a boy in the balcony asking us a question. You can actually hear this voice at about nine seconds into the recording. One of our investigators also recorded a woman singing when no one present was singing, either in the dressing rooms or in the auditorium balcony area. Despite the reactions of investigators, they did not hear this voice at the time. Overall, I believe the ghosts of the Grand to be pretty friendly and would love to go back there someday to investigate again. Oh, And that's it. I'd like to run out of an opera house for Christmas. <laughs> and it's not like a, a tiny like place. It's, it's a pretty big building. So it's, it's like, yeah. It's... I wonder if they got access to the basement. Probably. Yeah. They probably got full access. They probably got down there on the tour at least... Yeah, private tour. How nice must that be? Okay, so I did not do an opera house. I did do a house, <laughs> like a house that people have lived in. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't Those know. Those are good, too. Like, how, how do I segue this? Well, okay, so I did – I went to Scotland. Um, I, I didn't actually go to Scotland. I wish I could actually go to Scotland. Um, it's – uh, it's funny because this actually, this one popped up in my Facebook feed. Somebody had posted an article hmm. about that this house was now for sale. Oh. Uh, but I'll, spoiler alert, it's no longer for sale. I think oh. the article was a little old because it <laughs> sold in like May. Oh. Um, but, and I was totally going to plug it and be like, Liz, Liz, go buy this house. <laughs> um, but the, the real estate company was also looking for serious offers only of 510,000 pounds and above. Yeah. Um, I, 
That sounds like a lot. Because I'm pretty sure the pound is worth more than the dollar. I think it was the pound. The pound's the one that looks like a fancy L, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And um, another spoiler alert, that it's caught fire several times. Literally just a skeleton left. Like a half a skeleton because there's like complete sides of it are gone. And they still wanted over half a mil. And then they were estimating like two million pounds to um, like fully repair and restore. Wow! Uh, so I did. It's um, the Bullskine House, mm. uh, and yes, I did Google it, Sharon. And there's nothing that says how to pronounce it. So take your one star review and shove it up your ass. Uh, so it's a manor house that uh, sits on the southeast side of Loch Ness. Ooh. Oh, uh, in the Scottish Highlands in what is today the village of Foyers. Hmm. There was also nothing on Google that told me how to correctly pronounce that one, so deal with it. <laughs> um, I'm doing my best, folks. Can you imagine? So they, a few years ago, the owners uh, sold off like part of the land because it sits on like a bunch of land too. And they sold off part of the land that included like 143 feet of shoreline on Loch Ness and like can you imagine like waking up in the morning and like (laughs) oh I'll stretch and have my morning coffee and look out the kitchen window and oh look there's Nessie poking her head up (laughs) (laughs) um so we'll do a quick little history so most of my info came from Wikipedia Mm -hmm. uh there's a few things that came from other sources, but most of it was Wikipedia. So the house is named for the the parish of Bolskine, which was formed in the 13th century. And around that, uh, that time that they founded it, a Kirk, which we've learned from previous episodes is a church. Yes. (laughs) Um, and a graveyard were both established. Uh, the parish was run by ministers and they would patrol the area either on horseback or on foot in any and all weather. Wow. So it would be like one minister at a time would be like running it. And like and like that's what they did was they just roamed and I guess made sure people were obeying the town wow. code. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there was – so this is starting back in like the late 1600s. There was one minister in particular, Thomas Houston – who um, was said to have had the task of getting animated corpses back into the graves. Oh, oh my. After a local wizard had raised the dead in the Bolskine graveyard. (laughs) Okay. So we're starting early. Um, And uh, so then add to that, um, according according to legend, because we deal in myths and legends and theories, um, the Kirk caught fire during a... This actually, this part actually might be a fact because um, I saw it several times across different platforms. Um, the Kirk caught fire during a congregation and killed everybody inside. Oh, yeah. Um, no specific time given for that though. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, but that's what they say happened. Uh, then fast forward to the 1760s. Colonel Archibald Fraser. <laughs> uh, Sorry. So I just want to I. I want to, and his brother's name was Simon. And I just want to point out that Archibald, what? We don't name our kids Archibald anymore. I feel <laughs> like if I ever have a son, I feel like I should name him Archibald just hmm. so that name doesn't like die. <laughs> Archibald. I picture, you know who I picture? The guy from the original Jumanji, the hunter. 
<laughs> I feel like his name sh- should have been Archibald. I don't think it was. I'm not sure if they even ever said his name, but I he looks know. he looks like an Archibald to me. Um. So, anyways, so he comes along. He builds a hunting lodge on the same site as the Kirk. Dun dun dun. So um they I put in quotes, they say, um, it's you know, it's believed that he chose that site to irritate his brother Simon <laughs> as payback for Simon's support of the quote unquote wrong side during yeah. the Jacobite Jacobite rising of seventeen forty five. And um Simon's land surrounded the site of the Bullskine. Mm-hmm. So so Archibald's plot was like inside of simon's plot and he would have had to like cross (laughs) it um i'm gonna put my house right in your line of sight like right in your view or something (laughs) well not even that like he would have had to cross his property to get in and out too (laughs) yeah so it's just like here i am um but so um they were brothers they fought on different sides of this this uprising rising whatever um and uh the jacobites lost and simon was executed for treason um and if you want more information on that um see google because i'm not a historian and i'm not going to give a lesson on it um uh so but simon was um eventually brought to the tower of london where his head was chopped Mm. off so the fraser family continued to expand the lodge until the 1830s uh it it's all one floor with the exception of uh, there was a servant's attic bedroom and that was that sat over the kitchen and the rest of the house included four bedrooms, the kitchen, a lounge, a drawing room and a library. Um, there's also there was also a tunnel that linked the house to the graveyard, but I don't think that's there anymore. What? So, I, I mean, I think I know what a drawing room actually is. And no, I did not Google it because... This is also the point of our podcast is to propose silly things. What do you do in a drawing room? Like, is it specifically for drawing? Yes. Do you draw in a drawing? No. Do do you? Do you draw the curtains? Maybe. I feel like you draw the curtains closed and then you draw the curtains open and that's the full point. You draw the curtains open to draw, like on paper. (laughs) And then when you're finished drawing on paper, you draw the curtains closed and then you leave. Like, that's the whole point of a drawing room, right? Sure. Because why else would you need both a drawing room and a lounge and a library. I'm surprised they don't have a study in there too or an office right? or something you like can't, that. You can't study in the library. You have to take the book from the library and then go study in the study. <laughs> exactly. I, I have no idea why they call these things all these weird names. I love these conversations. <laughs> it's just, it's a room. It's that room with all the books. <laughs> it's just like because you built so many rooms and you have to name them all something. Um, I guess so people don't get lost. (laughs) What room? Oh, just that one, you know, the third door on the left. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, the, the drawing room. Oh, well, how do I know which one's the drawing room? Because it's the one with all the art supplies, dumbass. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um, all right. So that brought us up until the 1830s. And then, so the Fraser family owned it until 1899 when it was bought by Alistair Crowley. <laughs> uh, you know that Ozzy Osbourne song, Mr. Crowley? Mr. Crowley. It doesn't sound right so. without the accompanying music. You've probably heard it, but you wouldn't know it unless you heard it again. Probably. But <laughs> it's, a, it's about this guy. Oh, it is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, the whole time wow. I was doing this, every time they talked about Alistair Crowley, 
I kept thinking of for Alistair. I would think of Alistair Moody. Uh-huh. And then Crowley, I kept thinking of the the King of Hell. <laughs> what was Me too. Fargus? Fargus? Oh, Fargus? 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 <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> Um, don't give us one star because you don't understand our references. Go educate yourself. Um, <laughs> so Aleister Crowley, he was known as the wickedest man in the world. He was a famous occultist, novelist, poet, poet, too many ists, um, poet, painter, ceremonial magician, and mountaineer. <laughs> okay. Let's not forget mountaineer. He also climbed mountains. Um, he founded the religion of Thelema and claimed to be a prophet that had a mission to usher humans somewhere, somewhere. I didn't go into depth researching his... Uh, Craziness? His... Well, be careful, because okay. he might actually have been a prophet. Um, he might not actually have been crazy. His um, theories, then. <laughs> but uh, his... Yeah, his belief system. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, he did go on to practice a lot of black magic and summon demons. So, I mean, you know... Um, <laughs> Anyway, Profit for the other side, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, for sure, yeah. Um, so if you want more information on on his his system, um, because he had a lot of followers, um, I mean he was he was a big deal. Um, you can go ahead and look him up. Uh, he's got like books and I mean he was a novelist, so he wrote yeah some books and shit. So, um, and apparently poems. Uh, <laughs> Got to put a satanic chance down somewhere. What his poems would be like. Violets are red. No, they're not. <laughs> Roses are red. Violets are blue. Demon, demon, I summon you. I feel like, I hope I didn't actually just, like, invoke something. But I feel like, I, I obviously am not good at poetry. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so he bought the Bullskine house uh, in 1899. He believed the location would be perfect to perform a six-month ritual that involves summoning the 12 kings and dukes of hell. Uh, the overall purpose of the ritual was to invoke one's guardian angel. So I guess um, it simplified. It was he would summon these demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the house, like, it was very specific how this was to be performed and the location was to be performed in. So you needed a door that opened to the north mm-hmm. from your oratory and then you needed, um, like, a terrace that was lined with fine river sand. And that's where you would trap the demons. And then you would do whatever you're doing with the demons to bring your guardian angel to you. And then you would banish the demons. Okay. Interesting. I- I'm sure that's an oversimplified Probably. version. Probably. <laughs> if you guys want the details, you feel free to Google it because I'm not getting into it. So this house, and it had to be like secluded and it was also, this house was also um, right under the geographical center of, uh, I don't know, I'll get to that because I wrote it down later. It was some kind of geography thing. Like, I don't know. The location was good for what he needed. Um, <laughs> so, however, so he started it, but in the middle of this six six month ritual, mm-hmm. six months long, um, and you know he's supposed to be like secluded the whole time. Yeah, he was summoned to Paris by the leader of the Golden Dawn, which was oh. a spiritual call. Um, and it is believed because of, uh, he went, uh-huh. and it's believed because of this interruption, he never banished the demons he had summoned. 
Uh-oh. They stayed. Not good. And, like, the ritual was all interrupted, so it's like... So even when he got back, like, how does that... Do you have to start from scratch? Did he forget he had these 12 demons hanging out on his terrace? Like, I, I don't know. So, like, the whole thing got messed up. So after that... um According to an article on thescotsman.com, a housemaid went mad. A local butcher received an order from Crowley. So one of the accounts I read about this said that the order was accidentally written on the back of a torn page that had a spell written Mm -hmm. on it. And that's why this happened. But regardless, he got an order directly from Crowley. And as he was filling it, he chopped off his hand. Ah, like, he was cutting the meat and, like, missed and chopped off his own hand. Um, Ew. And then on atlasobscura.com, uh, their article mentioned an employee who never drank, mm-hmm. got drunk, and attempted to murder his entire family. Oh. Yeah. So, and then Crowley himself ended up, after all these things were happening, um, he came out and said, like, the black magic got out of hand, which I guess is, an ex- it's quoted, like, got just like that. So it's, yeah, just got out of hand. Um, which, him saying that, though, was a big deal because he was, uh, he came off as pretty arrogant and he would never admit to making a mistake. Mm-hmm. So for him to come out and say, like, ah, my black magic rituals kind of got out of hand. I went a little too far. Um, that's the thing. So he left the Bullskin house in 1913 and then he died somewhere else in 1947 of chronic bronchitis. He was, he was old. Well, I mean, for that time period, he was old. He was, uh, 25 plus 40, he was 60 something, 62. So he left, he moved out in 1913. So, um, after World War One, uh, this guy, George Raft, he was a famous Hollywood actor. No. Um, <laughs> He was fraudulently selling shares in a pig farm (laughs) on the Bullskin property. Uh, Obviously, there was no farm. Uh, So that was – that's like the first thing that we hear about after um, Crowley moves out um, was this guy selling (laughs) fake pig farms. Um. Uh, then fast forward to after World War II, Major Edward Grant moved in, and he lived there until 1965 when he committed suicide by shotgun in Crowley's bedroom. Ooh. Following the suicide, a newlywed couple moved in. Um, the wife was blind. The husband walked out after a month. Like, just walked out. Hmm. Disappeared. Uh, leaving his blind wife to essentially fend for herself, wandering around the house, not able to see a thing. Mm. In 1969, experimental filmmaker and occult enthusiast Kenneth Anger, uh, he's pretty interesting. You guys can Google him. He uh, he makes movies <laughs> about like culty stuff. Mm. Um, so. He rented the house for a few months until Jimmy Page, a.k.a. Led Zeppelin, Mm -hmm. uh, he bought it in 1970. Um, (laughs) Jimmy Page was a big Crowley fan. Uh, He read all of his stuff, and he liked to collect memorabilia. And, you know, what better memorabilia is there than a cursed house with a demon's (laughs) Um, So... 
Yeah. But the thing, he didn't really live it. But I mean, that's like rich people, right? Rich and famous people. Like they have like houses everywhere and mm-hmm. they never really like live in them. They're like. You go visit once in a while maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So he also bought it because he thought that it would be a good atmosphere to write songs in. Because I mean, like Led Zeppelin, you know, mm-hmm. like he was probably in there like doing acid trips and, but like he was barely mm-hmm. there. So it's like, did you even write songs there or yeah. did you just buy it and you went once and saw Because apparently it was like a shithole. Like it was all. Like fucked up and shit. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so I feel like you went and looked at it once and you were like, restore it. And then never came back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. So he, he went through and he arranged to have it. He wanted it restored to what it looked like when Crowley lived there. Um, but, um, he obviously he didn't live there and he hired his friend Malcolm Dent as the caretaker. So Malcolm Dent moves in and he said, and he's the one that he's like, he moved in and it was like a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, like it had been abandoned for a while. Parts of the building were missing, <laughs> falling apart. And it was just a mess. There had been at least one fire. Mm-hmm. So like there's something was burnt. Like, um, and he also claims that he's a skeptic. But within weeks of moving in, experienced, and I have a list. Um Okay, the first thing was a strange rumbling from the hallway, which would stop when he went to investigate and then start up again after he went back to whatever it was he was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So he started researching and somehow he comes to the conclusion that um, this is the former Lord Lovett, a.k.a. Simon Fraser, Mm -hmm. who was executed in London for treason in 1747. The explanation... um, that is offered for this is that okay here's the geographical thing the geographical center of the highlands sits above bullskine in a small hamlet called irogi mm-hmm. i'm sorry if i said it wrong uh and the the bullskine was the nearest consecrated ground to that uh. So it's believed that, and then he owned property around there. So it's believed that though he was executed in London, mm-hmm. his um, his soul came back to like his home. Okay, and um, for some reason, his head, his beheaded head, or the ghost of his beheaded head, rolls up and down the oh, hallway. That's what the noise. <laughs> that's is. what the noise is. I I thought you were going with like it, his head was stayed in London or something, so he can't talk. So it's just like a growly kind of sound. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, to me, that feels like a leap. That it's his head rolling around. I don't know. Like I could see how you'd get to the conclusion that maybe it's him, mm-hmm. but that it's his head. Because I'm just picturing like somebody bowling with his head. Like, yeah, in the afterlife, I. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> He, okay, so then Dent also experienced uh, what sounded like a wild animal snorting and banging outside the bedroom door in the middle of the night. Um, it lasted a while, but he didn't work up the courage to open the door until morning, and then, of course, nothing was there. Mm-hmm. But he said whatever it was was pure evil. <laughs> but, I mean, if half it the could house be is because, yeah, that's the, but, I mean, I'm sure there's... I'm sure there was something blocking, like a fence or something. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, because otherwise you would have animals, like, all oh. in there. So I'm <laughs> sure there was something, like, covering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, well, I was going to say, like, because the devil can appear as, like, a goat. Oh, yeah. Like a goat man. 
Mm-hmm. So then I was thinking, like, he's, like, snuffling at the door. A friend of his stayed over and woke up during the night, claiming she was attacked by some kind of devil. Um, chairs would switch places. Doors slammed open or closed with no explanation. Carpets and rugs would roll up. So he's he said that, like, he would go into a room and, like, the whatever, like, the area rug on mm-hmm. the floor would be, like, rolled up and put in the corner. Okay. Or, like, <laughs> pile in the corner or whatever. And despite all of this... And the fact that he claimed, well, maybe because he claims he's a skeptic, so maybe he was just brushing it all off. Who knows? But he met his wife at Bullskine, and they raised their family there. Okay. Yeah. So until 1992, when the McGillivray family bought the house, and they were there until Ronald McGillivray died in 2002, and they operated the house as a hotel after dumping a ton of money into renovating it. Ronald um, supposedly hated any mention of the house's connection to Crowley, and his wife claims that they had zero mysterious experiences there. Hmm. The next owners were some Dutch people, and (laughs) they were anonymous. Nobody knows who they are. (laughs) Anonymous Dutch family moves in. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Um, Well... Kind of. They So they bought the house in 2002. They converted it back to a private residence and used it as a vacation home. Mm. Uh, until 2015, on December 23rd, 2015, at, I think it was like 1.30 or 1.40 in the afternoon, a passerby um, passed by <laughs> on the road and saw smoke and flame shooting from the house. Ooh. And so he called the fire department. And, well, I say he, but I'm assuming... The, the passerby called the fire department. The They responded. Um, by the time they got there, they estimated about 60% of the house had been completely incinerated. Wow. Um, so they focused everything on what was still standing. And uh, they kind of, so that that's like what's left now is like kind of most of the front exterior wall. Mm. And... Uh, but it was so badly damaged that it's really like a skeleton. It, it's like at the pictures, it really is just like the front exterior wall. Wow. And then you walk around <laughs> like to the back of it or the side and it's mm-hmm. just like there's nothing there. <laughs> uh, but so they, they investigated and they found that it started in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But nobody was home hmm. at the time. So they don't know. And they couldn't figure out how it started. Just that. It started in the kitchen. Um, The family had been out shopping and nobody was home, so... Hmm. Mysterious. Um, About a year later, um, so the December 2016, investigators from the Highland Paranormal Society, or just Highland Paranormal, visited the property in response to reports of increased activity. Um... And then I made a note that no one was living there. So who made these reports? But Mm -hmm. then I was looking at other things and it kind of seems like maybe there were people trespassing Mm. because private property. So you're not really sure to be there. Their investigators came out and um, they were taking photos and they didn't experience anything at the time. But as they were uploading the photos and going over them, in one photo, in only one photo, there is what appears to be smoke rising from the chimney. Hmm. 
Hmm. Um, photos of the inside show that the fireplace is completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. And also they have photos of the inside in the fireplace and there's no fire. Yeah. And no one's living there, obviously. So, and like you might think squatters or something, but like they have photos of the inside. They went inside. There's no fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it took me a little digging to find this photo. So I went to their website and they don't have any notes oh. or anything up. And they have a Facebook page that supposedly has all their photos from investigations, but it was, you know, over three years ago. Yeah. And they're not sorted into albums. No. I'm just like, I'm not scrolling through three years of photos. Um, but I found it on someone else's blog, Wellington County Paranormal Investigators. They did like a brief little write-up. They have the photo um, it can be found at wcpi.ca slash bullskine hyphen house, um, or just Google Wellington County Paranormal and Bullskine House, and I'm sure it'll come right up. Might be easier. It's really faint, and you know, they have other photos, and this is the only one that has smoke coming out of the chimney. So, and then in so the house went up for sale this spring, this mm-hmm. past spring. I guess it actually got bought in May. So I think it went up, I went on the market in April and it was bought in May by the Bullskine House Foundation. Okay. Who wants to completely restore it mm-hmm. and put everything back and then open it to the public as a museum, which yeah. is awesome. In July of 2019, there were two other buildings on the property that uh, caught on fire and they believe that this is arson mm-hmm. and the fire spread and destroyed what little there was left of Aww. the inside of the main building. Um, yeah. If you want to see what it looked like after the fire of 2015, this guy, Mark Walbank of Paranormal New Zealand, I'm pretty sure we've used his stuff before because the website is hauntedauckland.com. I know I've definitely looked at some of his stuff before, um, but he was there in 2017. He took a ton of photos. Mm-hmm. So um, you can get an idea of what, of kind of what it looked like. But the Bullskine House uh, Foundation, um, they started uh, going through and cleaning it up and everything. Um, so as of December, they were starting to clear out all the rubble and the unsalvageable remains and everything. Um, and it sounded like they were trying to get it ready to survive for the winter before they could really start mm-hmm. working on it. And they're taking donations okay. through PayPal and GoFundMe if anyone's interested in giving them money. Um, but their goal is to rebuild and restore. And they have um, kind of an idea what some of the interior looked like. There were, so I guess there were like murals and stuff. Um but they, for more information on that, you can go to bullskinehouse.org. And it's B-O-L-E-S-K-I-N-E, house.org. Cool. Yeah. I have a comment All on right. how the hotel people might not have had any experiences. Because if it is demons. It's a hotel. Well, because <laughs> well, if it's demons, like, if they ignored the first things... Right? Because, like, you give demon attention and then. Yeah, you give them attention and they escalate. But I also feel like they don't. I don't know. Do they just go away if you ignore them? I feel like they would still try and 
get attention. I don't know. Uh, it was just a thought. I was and just thinking because it was a hotel, so there's people in and out. and So much turnover. Yeah. And if stuff is getting moved around or doors are slamming, there's other people there. Yeah. So you're just going to think it's other people. Yeah, that's true, too. My other thought was um, what if people are more open to it, they're more likely to experience it, right? Or mm-hmm. And if they're really like closed off and stuff they're not going to i don't know i don't know exactly what i'm trying to how to word what no, i'm trying yeah. to say yeah if you're well one of the quotes from the wife for them because they never say her name <laughs> um because she's just his wife right um but she said we don't believe in that rubbish <laughs> so i mean that tells you kind of all you need to know but then malcolm dent also claimed to be a skeptic but mm-hmm. maybe he's just not as skeptical as he thinks he is yeah but I mean, that's like um, when the group of us were in Spokane at that Airbnb, mm-hmm. and like we all experienced something except yeah. for one person who <laughs> is doesn't believe minded. in that rubbish. <laughs> yeah. So, and and we were talking about it somewhat recently, and that came up, and she was like, "Yeah, well, I just don't believe in that stuff, so I just don't. I guess I'm not open to it, so I don't see anything." Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, maybe, maybe. Because literally she was the only one. That is a little bizarre. Out of 12, yeah, 12 of us, even the kids had something. So, Or maybe, you know, th- that kind of mind is more likely to just kind of brush it away and ignore it and mm-hmm. not think about it. Yeah. So even if they did see or hear something, when it comes up later on, it's not because they didn't stop to think about it they just brush it off or whatever they just don't it's not part of their memory yeah it's just not there because it was completely disregarded because well that's not real so that didn't happen so it's out of my mind now yeah anyway so that's our show episode 41 um rate us review us um don't be a dick uh follow our social medias (laughs) Um, we have our Facebook group, um my favorite haunted group the home of the paranormies Instagram, Twitter my fave haunting That's it. Yep. All right. See you next week. Thanks for potting. Oh, yeah, we have that. Thanks for potting with us. (laughs) It's been a while, you guys. Thanks for potting with us.